Well, good morning. Welcome to Community Light Church. My name is Pastor Keith, and I have the honor and privilege of speaking to you today. So we're going to ask God to, uh, we're going to bow, and we're going to ask him to bless this time that we have today. So let's pray. Lord, uh, I just want to pray for your strength today. Give me your words to clearly articulate what you want me to say. I pray for a sense of freedom. I pray for your Holy Spirit to guide me. God, I pray for the spirit of conviction to come down whenever that needs to come upon me. I pray for the spirit of conviction on my friends. God, that we would receive what you have for us. That we would be the men and women of God that you want us to be. Give us passion. Give us insight. Give us more of you. And I pray this all in your precious name. Amen. Uh, so I was tasked with the honor of talking about community. And I want to make this clear, really clear up front, is this. I believe that the church is the greatest community and the greatest group of people in the history of the world. I believe that without a shadow of a doubt. When you think about it, it started out as these ragtag Jews just 2,000 years ago meeting together as this group of people and what it has evolved into, and to think about the millions of people around this country and around the world that have already come together to praise Jesus Christ this morning. And how many more, and how many different tongues and nations it will go to. The church is the greatest organization and group of people ever. It's greater than the Roman Empire it's greater than the British Empire. It's greater than the Steeler Dynasty. I believe that wholeheartedly. And why is that? Well, I'm going to read a verse that maybe you usually hear reserved for weddings, which is this. This is Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ himself came down and died on a cross for what? For our sins. But even more to that, he died for you. You see, we are the church. This building is not the church. The people of this you know, congregation look around. You are the church. And Jesus Christ came down and died, so what, for us? So that we can congregate together. We are the bride of Christ. We are the object of Christ's affection. Think about that for one second. Community Alliance Church, the people you're sitting beside, we are the object of Christ's affection. He loves us that much. If you could grasp that, go ahead and feel free to walk out. Because it's the greatest truth that the idea is, is that God spared nothing, the greatest human being ever to walk the earth, the greatest God, you know, God, 100% God, 100% man, Jesus comes and dies for us so that we can be the bride of Christ. We are the object of Christ's affection so that we can be married to him. I like to think in marriage and even in your relationship with God, there's, there's kind of like three parts of it. There's the first part, I like to call it the honeymoon phase. And you know people in the honeymoon phase because you don't really like them that much, you know what I'm saying? You know when honeymooners are like, oh, honey pumpkin, I love you so much, kissy, kissy. And he's like, oh, princess, I love you so much. And you're like, I can't wait for five years when they hate each other. You've done that. You're just as cynical as I. Don't pretend that you're not, okay? But there's a honeymoon phase, you know, in marriage, and there's a honeymoon phase in your relationship with God where you are just in love with God 
where God is revealing things and you are growing and spiritually God is doing amazing things in your life. And that is so important. And it can go on for years and years and years. And hopefully there's always a little bit of the honeymoon phase in the relationship. Then the second phase of, of your faith or your marriage, you know, is very similar to this. I call it the figure it out phase. And this is where it's like, okay, this person has some kind of needs and some wants, and I got to kind of figure out what I have to do to make this relationship work. I'll give you, for instance, for me, I am the biggest slob you will ever meet in your life, okay? If you don't believe me, you can go check out my RAV4. It's all the way in the back, or, or you can come to my office and you'll go, oh man, it's even worse than what I thought, all right? I am a slob, okay? But I married a woman who is what? Very neat and meticulous, there was never any conflict. No, never. We've never had any conflict about that. So what did I have to realize? I have to bend and become more like my wife or she's going to strangle me. That's what I learned, all right? In the most loving way possible. No, I had to learn that I had to make her feel valued by cleaning up and doing these. Those were her love languages. And I'd like to think that as we've spent more time, she's been a little, become a little bit more fun and spot nudist and things like that as I've rubbed off on her. And that's what a great relationship does. You know, you become more like the person. The only difference is with the church is this, is that, you know, in our relationship with Christ is that we, you know, have to become more like him. He doesn't have to become more like us. And the more that we figure it out and become more like him, the deeper and more intimate our relationship becomes. Last one, as I call the longevity phase, and some of you are in that, all right? And some of you are in that. This is like when you see a couple, and this is, I'm not a softy, I'm not very sentimental at all, but when I see an older couple, you know, walk into church like holding hands, and I'm always like, I hope that's me and my wife. You know, that they've been walking together. They love one another. I'll pick on them because they're here. Like when I see Ken and Ginger Cypher here, like when they, 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 they've been together for a long time. You know what I mean? And I just see the love that they have for each other. You know, like that's just such a special thing. Or maybe another couple that spends a lot of time at Panera. Like they genuinely just, you're laughing because you've seen them there. <laughs> when you see the longevity of that, you're like, that's awesome. And that's what we want in our faith. And that's what produces saints. And that's what the church is about as a community that has honeymooners, people figuring it out, and people that have been walking with the Lord for a long, long time. I mean, this church has been around for over 110, 15 years. It's been around for a long time. And so we have some saints. And we are the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5, 26 and 27 says this, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church. That's what Christ wants to do. He wants, you know, as we love, you know, our wives, you know, Christ wants to present us as a radiant church without stain, wrinkle, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. God wants to make us holy and pure and blameless. And this is what makes the church so amazing because there's a lot of other great organizations doing a lot of other great things out there. You know, they're feeding people, they're clothing people, but the problem is is that it's often not pure and holy like the church. It's often for selfish reasons that they're to make themselves feel good. I feed these people to feel good about myself or I clothe these people or we're doing good things, but it's for selfish reasons to make themselves feel good. And the church is so holy and pure that it wants to do it what for God's glory. 
and to bring him glory and to represent him so that other people may see what we've done and said, that is so pure and so holy. I want to be a part of that. And then we can impact lives for eternity as they come to encounter who Jesus Christ really is. And that's why the church is the absolute greatest organization and group of people. I wanna show you this and we're gonna focus on this for a lot of the sermon. So don't worry if you don't get it um, if, at first, but I think over time you, you'll see what I'm going with this. And so I called this, I guess, the purity cycle. Um, God gave me this about a month and a half ago, two months ago, and I was praying about it and thinking about it. And, and on Thursday when I was writing my sermon, I felt like God was like, I really want you to use this. So I kind of rewrote work the sermon. So maybe it was for you. So I really hope this is for you. But the idea is that God is 100% pure and holy, he doesn't need us. He desires us. He loves us purely. It's not self-seeking. It's not, oh, I need Keith Kozik. He doesn't need any of us. It's pure. It's holy. And so that's why he can love us without selfish ambition. And what I can do is, is I can either accept that and I become what? Alive spiritually. Isn't that true? Many of you have done that. You realize God loves me purely. I accept it and I become alive spiritually what God has done in my life. I can reject that and what? I can, I can never alive. I'm just dead spiritually. And this is what happens. You're either alive. Churches are the same way. They start out pure. We have these pure motives. We just want to help people. We want to be who God wants me to be. And it will either become alive or it may just die or it just never takes roots. Your marriage at some point may be in this. It started out pure most of the time and it was alive, but over time it may not feel that way. And we'll get there in one second. And I truly believe that it's God's desire to take us from alive to thrive. Have you ever been that way spiritually where you're thriving spiritually? where God is doing amazing things, where you are just growing so much, it is the greatest feeling, it's the greatest thing, you are growing so much. And I do believe that God wants us to live here the majority of time to be thriving. And listen, thriving doesn't mean you have millions of dollars in the bank. It doesn't mean you know, you're going to a church of you know, tons and tons of people. The apostles and the disciples, while they were dying and suffering, were thriving spiritually. Churches can be thriving and they could be four or five people because they're being who God wants, because they're pure. And so don't think monetary or a lot of people are resonate and it has to be that for thriving. It doesn't have to be. Thriving is being purely who God wants you to be. There's just this problem is that over time, usually you can be in thrive or alive and then often what happens is compromise steps in. And when, with compromise, that can be often sin starts to come into your life. Or maybe you don't spend as much time with God as you want. Maybe you're like me, you got four kids and you're just busy. And then slowly compromise. And then that feeling of alive, that feeling of thrive just doesn't seem to exist anymore. And you're like, where is that? What, what happened to that? And you have to figure out what, what's going on, and I'll get into that one second. And slowly over time, if you keep in survive, I'm sorry, in the compromise, you get into what? Survive. And you may feel that way spiritually right now, which is, I'm just kind of in survival mode. We're not really heading anywhere with God. I just kind of exist, and I just kind of show up. And this is what happens with churches, too, you know, is that, you know, we start to compromise our morals and things like that, and then we just try to survive. We just try to keep the doors open. 
And if we stay in these modes and your spiritual life and church is too long, this is what eventually happens. You just die. You're dead. And you're like, this, this is terrible. This isn't what I wanted. This, but you feel dead. Folks, where are you spiritually at this point? I'll talk more about that in a second. But here's the amazing thing about Jesus Christ and we, us being the bride of Christ is that we can get out of compromise and can get out of survive by simply coming and saying, God, this is where I really am. I'm sorry. I, I, I've compromised this. I'm, I'm just a survivor. I don't feel alive. God, would you make this pure again? Would you make me pure? Would you make me feel alive? Would you let me be spiritually filled with the Holy Spirit? We're gonna talk about that in one second. Like, would you help me with this? And you know what God says? Absolutely, that's exactly what I wanna do to you. He wants to make us pure, to make us back to being alive and back into thrive. And this is what a community of believers looks like if pure community is Acts chapter two. Imagine a pure church where everyone is seeking purity and has experienced that going into a life and going into thrive. This is the Acts two church. I want you to see the result of it. And this is Acts two, uh, verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So the apostles, the disciples, they had a major advantage and a major disadvantage, I like to think, is that you know they didn't have what I have which is I have, let me get to it, the entire New Testament right here. I can get up there and I can preach this out of this because I can say this is fact and this is what God has revealed and this is truth. And so I have this advantage is that I may be in compromise or even survive spiritually, but I can preach it. But these people didn't have that, that option. They were living the New Testament. They were writing it. They were making it happen. And I truly believe they were just pure, godly men seeking God wholeheartedly because they had to lead a whole community to alive and thrive. They were trying to take this group of people, this ragtag group of Jews together and make them become a community that God wanted them to be. And that's why it says in the next part, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship they had this fellowship, and that, the, the uh, Greek word is kononia, which means, you know, partnership. I love that idea of this. Imagine this church, again, a partnership, is the church, the leaders, the people of this church partnering together to be as pure as possible, to be the purest, radiant bride of Christ, alive and thriving for his kingdom. that would be the greatest community ever. And that's what this church was. A group of people purely coming together to know God, to serve him with no selfish motives to be who he wanted to be. Folks, that's what I want to be a part of. And deep down, I believe that a lot of you want to be a part of that as well. So let's keep continuing what that looks like. Continuing in verse 42. The apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. And really, the breaking of bread is just really communion. When you take the, you know, the wine, when you take the juice for us or the bread, 
And every time I take communion, it's like a renewal of my vows. You know, like my wedding ring. My wedding ring is a reminder of the commitment I made on December 27th, 2000. But what happens is, is every time I take communion, it's a reminder of the commitment that I made on July 3rd, 1998. Every time before I take it, I, I, I hold it just for that one second and I go, God, I just want to thank you so much for what you've done for me. And I want to make sure that I am pure with how I live my life. And I'm so thankful for the, great, for the gratefulness of what you did and the sacrifice that you made for us to be together. And it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' preaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. This pure community got together and they prayed for one another. When prayer often involves his needs, they knew each other's needs. They were saying, hey, can you pray for me about this? Can you pray about this situation? And they came together and they shared and they were open and they were honest and they were what? They were vulnerable with each other. You see, you can't have a pure community without vulnerability. It's really hard to have a pure community and have vulnerability if you're not willing to do that here, folks. At some point, you've got to be open and honest and authentic and genuine with the people that you're sitting in the rows with, with your small group. If you're going to experience what they experienced in Acts, and everyone was filled with the awe and the many wonders and the signs performed by the apostles. And God was showing up because of this pure community that God was radiating it and they were seeing miracles and God was doing amazing things. And all the believers were together and held everything in common. And the reason was that is they held on to all their possessions very, very loosely. They realized that their money their camels, their tools, their talents, their gifts, everything that God had given them was from him. It wasn't their own. They weren't living by the worldly standards where this is my house, this is my tool, this is my camel. It was, no, no, no. God gave me this. I want to hold on to it very, very loosely. And if any people in my community need it, you know, to be pure, I will gladly let them use it or let them have it. Isn't that the type of community you want to be a part of? People who aren't selfish, but hold on to things very loosely. And that's in verse 45. It says, they sold their property and possessions and gave them to anyone who had need. They sacrificed for one another because God had sacrificed for them. Folks, what would you be willing to sacrifice for the people in this room? What would you be willing to sacrifice for your small group? What sacrifices have you made? What would you be willing to sacrifice for God? Because when you do that, that's when you feel alive and that's when you're thriving spiritually. But when we're holding on to our possessions so tightly and we want what we want, often this is where compromise comes in because God's saying, you're making this an idol. You're making this the key thing in your life. Make me the key thing of your life. Verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And this is one of the most underrated things about, the, I think, the first church. They were friends. They were friends. They were genuinely friends. 
So much so that when they're spending all this time together, they had to know each other's stories. They had to know their, war, their hurts, their wants, their needs. And so I want to ask you this. Do you have genuine friendship here at Community Alliance Church? Do you have genuine friendships in your small groups? Do you know people's stories? Do you purely want to know them to love them so that we can be a thriving, growing community? Because it's really hard to do this, and I want to say this as nicely as I can, to have intimacy and know their stories if you're only here for one hour on a Sunday morning. And that's not to condemn you or make you feel bad. It's just reality. If we're going to establish and have a community like God wants us to, it's just really hard. And that's why I believe in small groups. I believe in finding your fit. I believe in finding your giftedness because it then enables you to build these relationships with people and to draw closer with them and to have the community that God desires. And we read about this in Acts 2. This is what God truly desires and wants for us. And it also does a major thing. It helps us us to avoid one of the main criticisms of the world and of the church. It helps you to avoid judgment. I'm going to tell you a story about when I was around 20 years old. I was a camp counselor at, uh, at Seneca Hills Bible Camp. And I was there, and I, I remember I was sitting there one day, and me and my friend, we'll just call him Frank, we'll protect the names of the innocent. We were sitting there, and we were more spiritually mature than certain people, you know. And there was one girl in particular, I didn't know why she was a camp counselor. That's what I even said. Me and Frank had this discussion. You've judged people like this before. You're like, why is this person here? They were incredibly immature, didn't seem like they really cared and stuff like that. And I was just like, why is she here? And it's funny when you say things like that because God has a certain way of working things out. It's exactly what happened. The next Thursday, we had this thing called the say-so. And at the say-so, you get up and say-so what God has done in your life. Every Thursday, that's what they, we used to do. And at certain say-sos, people would give their testimony. And this young woman got up and gave her testimony. She got up and talked about when she was, you know, just a year and a half ago, that she had gotten pregnant by her boyfriend and that her dad was a pastor, and the shame and the guilt that she felt. And so she had decided that she was going to have an abortion and let no one know about it. In the midst of going through with that and, and proceeding with that, God met her in a mighty and powerful way and convinced her that she needed to give this child up for an adoption. And it's exactly what she did. When she said that, I felt about this tall. And because why? Because I had judged her without what? Without knowing her story. And that's what happens in the church when we're not pure. I, didn't, I wasn't pure. I was selfish. I wasn't purely. And so when you know people's stories, what happens? You can extend in large amounts of grace and you understand them and you can love them. I loved that person afterwards. And it was my judgment that was so wrong. And it creates purity and God wants us to know each other's stories and love each other purely and not what we get out of it or not making ourselves look good. But that brings him the most glory because we are the bride of Christ and Christ wants me to love the church. Acts, 40, or Acts 2 verse, verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And let me make this very clear. The thriving church 
is very, very, very attractive because it's this pure model where people love one another, care for each other, meet each other's needs, and they love each other unconditionally. That is very, very attractive to the world. That's what they're looking for. The compromised church and the church just in survive mode just really isn't that appealing. It's the same way with your life. When you are thriving spiritually, when you're alive spiritually, people look at your life and they're like, there's something different about them. I want what they have. When we move into compromise and just survive spiritually, we're just not that attractive. That's just really the truth. And so we have to get back to this purity that only comes from Jesus Christ. And this is the key. And it's Acts 2, and this is, again, the, 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 you know, the end of Pentecost, you know, and this is a couple of verses beforehand, and this is verses 36 and 38. Verse 36, and this is Peter talking to these Jews. He says, therefore, let of all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And he says, listen, Jesus made this, you know, Jesus came and he died for our sins, verse 37. And the people heard this, they were what? They were cut to the heart. They were what? They were convicted. Maybe you are feeling convicted because you have compromised or fight. Maybe you're feeling convicted of your sins for the first time. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? In verse 38, what does Peter say? Repent and be baptized. This is what unifies all all of this community and all of the purity because the repentance is a true turning from how you live your life it is saying i am no longer living by the world standards i know that i was wrong i have the shame and this guilt and i'm making a full turn to trust god to live by his standards that's what repentance is and when you repent then you're baptized And many of you have been baptized, and it's saying, I am washing away my old life, my old shame, my old guilt. The enemy's not going to throw that in my face anymore. I am turning from that, and I am living with the freedom that only comes through Jesus Christ. And then I can live a pure, victorious Christian life through him. Amen? That's what it is. And when you do that, and when you're pure, what's the end of the verse says? You will receive the gift of what? the Holy Spirit. When you have that purity, then the Spirit wants to get you into a life, wants to get you to thrive because it has that yearning within it. It's just like, I want to be holy. You want to be holy. And that's why you have that holy discontent when you're in compromise or when you're just in survive mode. It's because the Holy Spirit's saying, you were made for more than this. You don't settle for this. I want to help you. It's thriving. It's crying out to what? For you to get pure with God. And it's simply just repenting and saying, God, I'm sorry, I'm coming home to you. And because God's God is so holy and so pure, he says, I love you. You're forgiven. Let's get back into a life. Let's get back into thrive so that you can have an eternal impact again. And that's what makes the church so great. And that's what makes the people of the church so great because it's selfless, it's pure. H.A. Ironside says this. He says, there's nothing meritorious in repentance, you know, merit, you know, rewarding about it. It is simply the recognition of the true state of affairs. Repentance is just being honest, to be like, okay, yeah, this is how it really is. And so I want to ask you, my friends, have you repented? 
Have you repented? Is the Holy Spirit alive in your life that you're getting out of compromise? You're getting out of, or maybe you're thriving. Keep going. I want to encourage you. Maybe you're alive. Keep going. Because you are the bride of Christ. You are the unity that the world wants to see and wants to replicate. You're the envy. You're the greatest community ever. And certain people will say, well, listen, I repented once as a child or I I repented at one time. Isn't repentance just a one-time thing? I, I would beg to differ because Revelation 2 and Revelation 3, when John is writing to the churches, what's he call five of the seven churches to do? To repent. Verse 5, consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with my sword in my mouth. Verse 21, I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. Remember verse, verse three, or chapter 3, verse 3. Remember, therefore, what you've received and heard. Hold fast to it and repent. Verse 19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so earnest and repent. And what was John calling these churches, what was Jesus calling these churches to do? To get pure again. To become pure and become like the first shacks because that is the greatest community. God was calling them to the pure community that he desired them to be. And yet five of the seven churches needed to repent. Would you pray for our church this week? Would you pray for your small group? Would you pray for your friends? Are there things that you need to repent of? Are there things that we as a church need to repent of? So that we can be this pure, authentic, real, thriving community that God wants us to be. A.W. Pink says this, the Christian who has stopped repenting has stopped growing. The Christian who has stopped repenting has stopped growing because you're stuck in compromise, you're stuck in survive, and you're not coming back to that purity cycle where God can wash us clean and make us new. And I know at some point, some of you are sitting out there and go, Keith, this is like utopia. This is too good to be true. This couldn't really exist. It happened at one point. And you're like, people were too selfish. They would never, they would never do this. I disagree. This is the purity. This is how the church was really supposed to be. This is how our community was supposed to be. This is how we were supposed to live in community with God. And let's let God take care of it. Selfish people. Liars, manipulators. And that's why we have Acts chapter 5. Because it's one of the most difficult parts of Scripture to understand. But in light of this community that's pure and thriving and holy and not settling for compromise, what happens when sin enters it? Verse 1 and 2, now there was a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. They're making sacrifices. Everyone was making sacrifices. So they go off and sell a part part of property, which was perfectly fine. Verse 2, with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest of it and put it at the apostles' feet. And so what they did was is they said, yeah, we'll sell out this property, but they kept part of it. They had the right to do that, not unless God told them to give all of it, But they they had the right to do that. But what they were going to do is what? Lie about it and create compromise. And they were hypocrites. They were showing that they were acting like they were pure, but in fact, they were selfish underneath it all. 
And God blessed Peter for holding him accountable to that. Verse three, Peter said to Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied, you have compromised to who? The Holy Spirit, which was thriving in their community and driving them to, be, to thrive and to be alive. And have so kept for yourself some of the money that you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold and after it sold? Wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think you could do, a thing, do such a thing? You have not lied just to humans, but to who? To God. And because he had went to compromise, instead of dying a spiritual death that normally happens, he died a physical death. And you've read this before and go, God, whoa, 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 this doesn't make any sense. Until I convey it to you this way, maybe it'll make a little bit more sense. God was so serious about this pure, thriving community that he wasn't gonna let anything upset the authenticity and the genuineness of it. He wasn't gonna tolerate it. And he was going to deal with it. And you might go, Keith, this is still a little bit extreme. This is the simplest way I can put it. The church is what? The bride of Christ, the object of his affection. Kyleen is my bride. She's the object of my affection. What would happen if some hypocrite came in and started lying and tried to separate us? What lengths would I go? What lengths would you go for your spouse if someone was coming in and lying and trying to separate you and disrupting the purity within your marriage? What lengths would you go? And it's the same lengths that Christ died on a cross for us so that we can be right with him, so we can be the bride of Christ. And he was what? He was gonna take care of it. He wanted the purity and the authenticity in this church to be real and genuine. And he took care of it. Verse five, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and he died. He died, not a spiritual death, a physical death. And great fear seized all who had heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. Verse 7, about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? And she what? She compromises. She lies and says, yeah, that's the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Again, the Holy Spirit. The feet of the men who buried your husband are also at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her out beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole community and all who heard about it, these events. Because why? Because they realized that this was a genuine, pure, authentic community. And this is what God desired and we need to live this way. But folks, is this the community and what you desire to be a part of? You are the bride of Christ. You are the greatest organization. You're the greatest group of people ever. And you've had it down a legacy from thousands and thousands and thousands of years of purity of what God loves you. And we get to maintain and be the bride of Christ. It's the greatest honor we'll ever receive. It is. You are loved. Christ sacrificed everything for you. And people are dying to see a pure church. I'm going to skip ahead and read two more verses, then we'll be done. I want to read verse 13 in Acts 5. It says, No one else dared join them, 
even though they were highly regarded by the people. And see, this is what it is, is there was a high standard, as you can see at this church. There was a high standard. They knew the cost. I had to repent, I had to be baptized, and I had to live pure. This was the standard. They weren't going around and going, hey, listen, we so want you to be a part of our community. We're gonna lower the standard just so you can, you know, you, you might have some compromise in your life and you, you may not be a live stream, but we want this so bad that, you know, we, we'll, we'll, we'll just take you the way that you are. No, the standard, in the words of Mike Tomlin, was the standard. The church was holy and pure, and we maintained it. And while we invited these people in, and we love them and we care about them, they need to know that if this is the purity that God desires from us, and that we need to share and represent him well. We didn't lower the bar, we are the bar. That's what all of us are. Because a pure, holy, thriving at the bar church is a thriving church, not a compromised one, and not a just survived church. And lastly, verse 14. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to them because they saw this. They said, this is the purity, this is the standard, but they have what I'm looking for. That community, it's so real, it's so authentic, it's so pure, it's so genuine. God is doing things. They have what I'm looking for. And so I want to reiterate to you, the thriving church is the attractive church. The alive church is the attractive. And outsiders want to be a part of that. The compromised Christian, the compromised church, the surviving church, it's just not that attractive. You are the church. I am the church. We are the church. How are we going to live? I want you guys to bow your heads. I believe that the church is the most authentic, genuine, real place that you should come every week. And in your small group, it should be the most real, authentic, genuine place that you get together. Being false and phony is not attractive to anyone. They can find that anywhere in the world. They can find it on Facebook or anywhere else. People are looking for authenticity and genuineness. They're looking for purity and holiness and righteousness, and you have it. Are you going to give it to them or not? Are you going to live the life that God wants you to live? Are you going to live in the freedom that he's given you and represent this community of believers and be the church that other people go, I don't know what they have, but I want it. Next thing I want you to ask yourself, are there things that you need to repent of? Are there things that you need to repent of? Do you have compromise? Are you in just survival mode? Is the Spirit convicting you of something? And I, I just want you to, again, here's the greatest thing. Just take a moment. If you need to confess it to someone else here, do that. This is the church. This is the most authentic, genuine community. But just take a moment and pray to God, is there things that you need to repent of? And 
I want you to know when you repented of that, if you did, you're pure and holy in God's sight again. There may be consequences for it, but God wants to again take you to alive and thrive and the Holy Spirit's gonna guide you and I wanna pray for that right now for you. God, I just pray for the Holy Spirit to fall heavy upon my friends. To give them the strength and the power to live in your majesty and your glory and live in this community. I wanna thank you for that. Last thing, are you willing to live as a part of this community? Is this the type of community that you want to be a part of? And if you're saying yes, then what are you going to do about it? How are you going to be authentic? How are you going to be generous? How are you going to build friendships and relationships with people? Folks, we are the greatest organization and group of people in the history of the world. We are the salt of the earth. We get to represent Jesus Christ. In a world that is dying and desperate for answers, we have them. They're looking for you. Would you be alive? And by the Spirit's power, would you be a thriving Christian? So I'm going to close with some prayer and I'm going to pray for you. God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much for this idea of community and purity. This is all your idea, and it only can come from you. So God, I just pray for us as a family of believers and as a community that we'd love each other deeply, that we'd be an Acts 2 church, that we would be pure. And God, if there's things that we need to repent of as a church, please bring that to our attention. Make us humble, make us low in our own eyes, and let us be pure and holy and righteous in your sight. And I pray for my friends that are the church, that all of us, that there are things that we need to repent of, God, that we would repent and turn. There would be a true turning to you. And you would receive us and you would forgive us. We would be the purest people. We would be your bride. We would be the object of your affection. And we live a victorious, glorious life for you. God, that's our desire here at Community Alliance Church. That's our desire in our own personal spiritual lives to be who you want us to. God, give us grace, give us mercy, and bring us back next week to learn more about you. I pray this all in your precious name. Amen. God bless you so much, and we'll see you guys next week.